Now we pray your blessing upon this service, upon these gathered here. If anyone does not know the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray that the Spirit might use it in some manner or other to draw them into the saving knowledge of our Lord. Amen. Well, I'm kind of flummoxed up here. Once in a while I get in these situations. In one way, I really don't know what to do. The way I prepare messages, it's not anything unique about it, but I sit down and I go to my computer with my books and I do it day after day. And I get time and I get in there and work some more. And then I do like I did yesterday. Finally, I go in and put page numbers. 22 pages. That's at least four, maybe five messages. And I go, what am I going to do? I'm telling you the scripture references in the, the beginning and the end. The beginning's okay, but the end is not going to be what you've got there. So I'm going to have to take it bit by bit. I hope you show up for next week. <laughs> Just hoping. All right, I'm going to read here. I'm going to back up to verse 31 and 32, just for reference, of John chapter 8. This is a great chapter. It's just so much here. Well, as Jesus, verse 30, spoke these things, this is key to what we're going to say today. Many came to believe in him. He had all of his adversaries, all the hostiles up there, and they were firing arrows at him. But many, in spite of that and the work of God, it seems, they came to believe in him. But he did not entirely trust in them. In fact, he knew this was not all real. So he said, we looked at this last Sunday, he said to those Jews who had believed in him, you could put apparently, ostensibly believed in him. If you abide in my word, then and only then are you truly the real deal. You're truly my disciples. If your faith is anchored in the truth of my revelation, you're the real deal. It's not, you're not. And then... There will be two results. You will know the truth. You will know that the truth is the truth is the truth. You'll know that. And nobody can talk you out of it. And the truth shall make you free. Oops. There he said something that's going to start a, a brush fire. So in verse 35, they, who are they? Well, they are those Jews, at least some of them, that he was speaking to who apparently believed in him, but all of a sudden he said the wrong thing. He cut right across the grain of their national pride, Jewish pride. We are Abraham's offspring, guy, and we've never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you shall become free? We'll stop right there. It has always been the case since the beginning 
since Jesus was here on earth. That in the church's work of evangelism, of trying to reach out and and be used of the Spirit to draw people to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, which we would hope would happen today if any of you do not know the Savior. It's always been the case that in the mix of converts, we find something that is disappointing. I really wrestled with this when I started in the ministry 60 years ago. When it all shakes out, we find more professors of Christ than possessors of Christ. We find at the end of the day a lot of tares mixed in with the fields of wheat. We find a lot of trash fish hauled in the nets with the game fish. This mixed multitude did not surprise, does not to this day, did not surprise Jesus. And it should not surprise any of us to this day. Lest we get frustrated, lest his disciples, as they go out for him into all the world, lest they get shocked with this mixed multitude, Jesus in some of his parables called attention to it. We can't read those parables. We can't teach those parables today. But for example, in Matthew 13, we have the parable of the sower, four kinds of seed, only one proves to be legitimate. Then we have the parable of the wheat and tares. And then in another chapter, we have the parable of the dragnet. It was around 1965. To you young people, it's like us saying the Civil War. You don't even know what the heck is talking about. You hadn't even darkened the face of the earth at that time. But I was there. Some of you are looking at me and say, well, we can tell. You were there. You were there even a little before then, I think. About 1965, I think, was when Billy Graham was first taking the country by a storm. He was still a young man then, relatively. And uh, on this occasion, he was holding one of his crusades in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Well, being in West Virginia, I decided to attend that Pittsburgh crusade, which was really fascinating along with his team, adjacent to these big nightly crusades, they held during the day a school of evangelism. I remember one of his staff was speaking to the whole, there were several thousand of us there, was speaking to the whole group. I think his name, I might be dead wrong. I'm wrong about many things these days. But I think his name was Dr. Fermilius Firm. He was answering questions from the floor. Well, if any of you, probably not a whole lot of you, but if any of you are old enough to remember those Graham Crusades, here were these Iranians just filled with people. And then Billy Graham, to the strains of just as I am without one plea, would offer an invitation and then out of the out of the stadium would just come streams and streams and streams of people gathering at the front. Some of them were counselors, but they were there to make professions of faith of Christ. And everybody just went, me included, just went, wow. Wow. The power of God on this man. 
boy, and it happened in city after city, including New York and even later London, places like that. Knocked me over. Everywhere the same result. Well, Dr. Firm was asked by one person on the floor, Sir, we see all of these people streaming forward at the invitation in these crusades, night after night. How many of those folks do you folks think prove to be genuine converts? He gave a stunningly honest answer. He said, well, we do after event research. We follow up. We thought all these people were being saved. He said, the best we can tell from our research, only about 10%. Now at my age, I'm not surprised at all about that. But then I was floored by what he said and what I had seen. The rest of those people were moved by various impulses, just as they are today, just as they were in Jesus' day. Once they were out of the stadium and back in the streets, their professions, 90% of them, based on their research, they proved hollow. They did not follow through with Christ, but immediately or shortly relapsed in their old ways of the world. When I came to Lake, I remember we were located in another place here in Lake Oswego, an old church. Office was in the house. Billy Graham was here in Portland. A guy called me from the neighborhood, and uh, he had been into everything, all kinds of occult stuff. And he said uh, he wanted to talk to me about the profession he made. I tried to follow up, but then he decided shortly that he wanted to go back to his occultic ways. That was not abnormal. Unfortunately, that was very normal. Well, right here in this passage, we see the same thing at the foundations. It has always been the same. There are always, there is always the crowd. And then there's the remnant. And even inside that remnant, some who prove themselves non-starters, as it were. Why am I emphasizing this? Because you need to understand. It's always happened. It happens here. It happened even in Israel, though the Lord Jesus Christ wasn't here. Out of all those people who make professions of faith, only a remnant proved to be the real deal. And some of you are the real deal from those things. You will notice if you've been here very long, and we've baptized more since COVID in that period than any time I can remember. You will see a couple of things. You will see people baptized, and we're all so thrilled and we like that. What happened to those people? They went away. Some of them are people that the devil has temporarily tripped up. They got spiritual COVID. They will be back. The Spirit of God will draw them back. Some of them 
are false believers. They're professors, as we call them, not possessors of Christ. We'll never see them again. As I say, when I was a young pastor, that used to break my heart. I couldn't understand what was wrong with me. You know, I was the preacher. And then later I came to understand that's the way it is. Give me 10 people who make professions of faith. I do not lose my mind over it anymore. (laughs) Praise God. I expect two or one at the end of the day, say five years down the road, to still be there. That should not discourage you. That's the way of God. And Jesus is trying to help these people understand. And so he's challenging these who said they believed in spite of all the local opposition. Well, the way he exposed that was his last line. If you people continue in my word, memo to self, I know that a great many of you are not going to. But if you do, then you're going to prove something. You're going to prove that you're the real deal. You are truly my followers. Then there'll be two effects. You will know the truth. You will know and nobody will be able to talk you out of it. You will know the truth. And the truth will make you free. Uh Uh-oh, God, I didn't like that. We're Jews. We are Jews. Don't you know who we are? We have never been bond slaves to anybody. Sound like some right-wing Christian nationalist. Now, before you go off, let me say, I hate, I despise, I loathe anything left-wing with all my being. But there is a right-wing that is just about as bad in its own way. We are Christians. We're neither right-wing nor left-wing. These people were right-wing Jews, very right-wing. And they had their pride. And all of a sudden, Jesus just cut right across the grain of their national pride. They were Jewish patriots. We don't like what you're saying. You're saying, we have been somebody's slaves? No way, Jack. We were never anybody's slaves. Jesus might have told them what I heard another man answer in a debate one time. He said, well, you're welcome to your own opinion, but not your own facts. They had the facts wrong. People sometimes get into stuff and they get their facts wrong. In reality, the Jews were presently slaves. They were slaves of the Romans. And to think otherwise was an exercise in denial. And for the better part of 400 years, the Hebrew people had been enslaved in the land of Egypt. Where'd their memory go on? Where did their memory go? And for 70 years, they had been captives of the Babylonians. Their grip on history seems to have been nearly as loose as ours today. Despite that mythology, they totally missed Jesus' point when he said the truth shall make you free. Totally missed it. He was not talking about political liberty. You wait till the 4th of July. You won't hear it as much today 
because we're more irreligious today as you did in other days. And you'll hear people talking, making speeches they think are very Christian, very patriotic. The truth shall make you free. He's not talking about political freedom. Hear me? He is not talking about political freedom. Jesus was not guaranteeing anybody anywhere that if they come to know him, they walk in his ways, they adhere to the revelation of God, that that will make them politically free. No way, Jose, not what he was talking about. He was talking about spiritual and moral freedom. He was not teaching us that truth will guarantee political freedom to, to do whatever we want to do. When he said the truth will make you free, he, Jesus was saying, I will make you free to do whatever you want to do. No, he was saying, if you come to know me, you walk in my ways, you're truly the real deal. You shall know the truth. You'll know that the truth is the truth is the truth. And that truth will make you free. He meant free to make you what you, to do what you ought to do. Liberation from enslavement to our carnal appetites. Enslavement to our corrupt values raging in our fallen flesh. Big difference. Now, before we continue with this debate, this narrative, and these, some, some of these now offended believers who have suddenly become turned off on Jesus again, Let's pause to reflect a minute on the timeless truth embedded here in the time bound. One of the things, those of you who know me, I understand this. One of the things that in my teaching I always try to do is to bring the past and the present into violent collision. There is a way, and many have mastered it, of getting up and teaching the scriptures they don't do that. It's just this means this, and that means this, and this, and this. Jack, I want to see it right before. I want to see today in this. I'm going to help you see today in this. We see some of this same phenomenon played out constantly in the modern Christian scene. We have churches, when I say full, I do mean full, full of people who profess to be followers of Christ, often loudly so, but their so-called faith in Christ is so hollow, it's so rootless, it's so superficial that they, I'm talking about people sitting right where you're sitting. I'm not talking about you necessarily. Making loud professions of Christian faith. How many of you love Jesus? But they don't. But they don't. They take offense at his word, not mine, at his word and his, and his faithful servants who are bold enough to declare it. Usually these kinds of people will find some other excuse to hide behind when their problem is that they take displeasure at his word. And oftentimes they themselves are so dull spiritually that they don't even know the truth that they're reacting to. What I'm saying is that this situation in this text with these Jewish people, some of whom had just minutes ago 
claim to believe in Jesus. This situation is not a once upon a time event. This is an all time event. It's a paradigm of the type. Jesus said late in John chapter 10, my sheep recognize my voice. My sheep, they get it. They recognize when I'm talking as opposed to when somebody else is talking. They get in line and they don't take offense and they try to kill the messenger, whatever it happens to be. These types of folk would never in this world see themselves as the kind who react to the Lord Jesus. Yet when they react to the plain truth of God, no matter who serves it up, they are reacting against God himself. This is not in my notes. I don't know the end story of this yet. Several weeks ago, it's interesting to me, I've not seen this person back. I've never seen that kind of gap. They may be in Zambia for all I know. And I hope that's the case. But after most of you had cleared, this person met me back about there, just behind those last seats. Her voice was trembling. She had tears in her, tears in her eyes. David had preached that Sunday he did nothing wrong. In fact, he was very gentle in the way he said it, more gentle than I would have been. <laughs> right, David? And he said it, and there was something about this gender stuff. David had the right tone, and he had the right balance. This lady waited for most of you to clear, and she met me back there, and she said, kind of caught me off guard. And people were around, and I just, all had not cleared. And she says, Pastor Jim, can't we show some love? I said, David did. She said, it just seems that we need to have more compassion. I don't know what was going on in her life. But until I learn otherwise, I'm taking it that while she appeared to be very devout, that she took offense at the word of God. Okay, that's it for me. I'm out. It breaks our heart when we see that. But if you belong to Jesus, you're not going to go there. You're going to find out where he is, what he teaches, what he says, what he promises, what he warns. You're going to take it and run with it, even if you don't understand it. But we have people who just take offense like that. I don't mean necessarily here. All the time. If you belong to Jesus, you will continue to his, in his word. You will take his word. You will, well, I don't like that. I'm sorry if it's his word. The problem lies right here. That's where with those Jews who said they believed in him. Secondly, modern examples of the spirit that we see in these superficial believers who had initially said they believed in him are those whose loyalty to Christ is trumped by their allegiance to 
their country, their denomination, their family, or some other entities. These people were Jews first. We are Jews. And everything else was second. Look, though you probably don't give a rip, I'm proud, or at least I once was, of my American heritage. But I will tell you something. The day it is an issue of being a patriotic American and being a devout Christian, patriotism loses, patriotism loses in a heartbeat with me, and I hope it does with you. I grew up in Baptist churches, and historically there is much in that heritage that I as a Christian can be proud of. But there's nothing more repugnant than those who think of themselves as Baptist first and Christian second. The southern part of the United States is full of that. That kind would not likely spill one drop of blood for Jesus. Boy, don't push that Baptist thing. Don't trash that Baptist thing. Them's fighting words. Up here in Oregon, I don't know whether you know that's true. That's true. Now, I'm telling you, the day of this spirit right here, these Jews, has not passed. It has always in one form or another been with us, and it still is. Whatever form it takes, it is not a good sign about one's relationship to Jesus Christ when we're so hung up on our prejudices and other loyalties that the minute the Word of God crosses us on these points, we're bent out of shape and ready to go to war. Illustration long, long ago. Many years ago, when I was just a fledgling pastor, I happened to be teaching from Romans 13. You know, we came up on Romans 13 back during the COVID thing. You know, be, be obedient to the powers that are over you. And uh, we had Christians everywhere who were saying, that's what the scripture said, who were saying, no, by golly, we will not submit. You get in here, you forget those masks, wear those masks, whatever, you get in here. Now, in some places, like Nevada and others, where there was clearly discrimination, that's a different thing. If they said Costco, you can open. They said Lake, you can't. We'd do the same thing. Nobody was doing that here. So we did the right thing, obeyed the scripture. It was hard. We had some people leave us because we didn't go macho and say to the governor or whoever. We didn't do that. We did the right thing. We would do their thing if they discriminated. Anyway, we're in Romans 13. Christians' duty was clearly, is, to submit to civil authorities that God has placed over us, except where they contravene God's law and would force us to disobey God. That wasn't happening here. In the course of that message, the one I preached probably in the early 60s, it was the 4th of July. 
I referred to the American Revolution. Now watch out, I may lose some of you right here. I referred to the American Revolution. And I said that as much as I love my country and would be happy to defend on it, in fact, there was a time when I wanted to go into the military and be a career chaplain. As a Christian, I pointed out to people that biblical text. And I asked, tell me how in light of those principles, Romans 13, our forefathers could have justified political revolt and bloodshed. Woohoo, I still ask that question. We were founded in bloodshed. What have we got still? Bloodshed and violence. Well, one man sitting back toward the back promptly got up out of his seat. He shot angrily out the door. He too never came back. Later I visited him to try to reel him in. I thought maybe I'd said something he misunderstood. Not likely. It was a wasted trip. Possibly in my interpretation of the principles, I had missed something that skewed my application. That was not the issue. It was quickly apparent that this man was one of these Jews who temporarily believed in Jesus. His loyalty was to America and everything else be damned. We've got a lot of those folks around today sitting right where you're sitting. I don't mean in Lake. He didn't have any answers, no rebuttal to my teaching of that scripture. Biblically, he was dumber than a stump. None of that mattered. He knew what was important to him, and that trumped everything. If it was what the Bible taught, hang the Bible and me too. Folks, This is very timely. I hope you recognize it. We have people running around all over the Christian landscape whose whole agenda seems to be saving America and returning her to her pristine faith, supposedly, going back to our foundations. Can I let you in on a little secret? Jesus Christ did not come into the world to save America. America is not the apple of God's eye. This man thought the Jews were, no matter what condition. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, whoever and wherever they are. And if you do not know him, you are a sinner. You are lost. You don't need America. You need saved. You need saved ASAP. Let every man or woman love his or her country, but love nothing more than Christ. And don't spend your whole life and Christ's treasure on a project that is not God's. Take a look. It took a lot of history twisting for some of these believers in this text. Took a lot of... Scripture twisting for them to get there and say, we've never been slaves. Here is a term of accommodation for mere profession. They could not realistically come up with anything that said they were never slaves. 
Today it takes a lot of history twisting and verbal equivocation to retain the notion. Here we go. That America was ever a truly Christian nation. Folks, it never was. The closest they ever had was when the Puritans landed on, that, on the shores of Massachusetts. Three days later, it wasn't Christian. For crying out loud, do you know this? Thomas Jefferson, great Christian. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? At best, he and Ben Franklin, Ben Franklin, great Christian. They were deists. Thomas Paine was an atheist. And all these people were Francophiles who were supportive of the French Revolution. Well, Jim, what's wrong with that? I'll tell you what's wrong with that. That was the most bloodthirsty and wicked regime on earth at the time. Read Charles Dickens' The Tale of Two Cities for the horror of it. It was not remotely Christian in spirit. These people reveled in the bloody, atheistic French spirit of the age. The French went way off there, and they're still off. Again, what I'm saying is the Bible is a mirror in which we see all the modern players and mindsets, good and evil, wise and foolish. As we look closely at God's boundaries, we might find ourselves looking right back in the mirror off the pages of God's word. We may even find ourselves running with those who fought with Jesus and took exception to his teaching, just like the scribes and Pharisees, all in the name of God and piety. If you think that stuff amps me up, you're right. It does. I can't stand it on either side of it. There's one group, and they're split just down the middle. There's one group that hates God, hates Jesus, hates his church, is amoral and or immoral. Now they want to kill babies 30 days after they're born. It's called infanticide. It's gaining ground. That's an ideology you ought to loathe with all your heart. But then on the other side, not as many and not as dominant, but they're like a lady that came into our church a while back. She's not here any longer. She came in, she looked like a flag and had it all over her. Pastor Jim, look at me. I said to her, we don't worship the flag here. We don't. We worship Christ. Well, that's contemporary application of these things. And then Jesus goes on. I'll move on a little quickly. Jesus answered them and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sins is a slave of sin. Trying to get them back on the right page. He's saying, 
the Greek present tense is in the habit of sinning, that person is a slave of sin. You say you're not slaves, you are. You don't know what you're slaves to. The worst form of slavery is when you're a slave of sin. You're a slave of Satan. That you need to be freed from. Well, they come right back at him. They say, he says, a slave does not remain in the house forever, but the son does. He means that we die, but the son lives on and is ruler of the house. If the son shall make you free, Jesus, you'll be free indeed in the spiritual and moral sense. Now, look, I know that you're Abraham's offspring, he says in verse 37. I'm not blind to that. I know he's your physical patriarch, but yes, something's wrong here. Verse 37, you people, you're trying to kill me. Why are you trying to kill me? Because my word has no room in your heart. I speak the things which I have seen with my father. Therefore, you also do the things that you've heard from your father. We may have a little medical event back here, folks. Just hold your seat. I will uh, I will have prayer, and then if you'll just file out, don't gather around. I don't know what's wrong. If we have medical people, we usually do. And our security people are back there. Let's just... Let's just pray. Our Heavenly Father, I don't know, most people don't know what's, what kind of medical event is going on in the back of the church, but we pray for whoever, and we pray that things will work out in the right way. We ask your blessing. We ask your protection. In the name of Jesus, we pray. David. Go ahead, take the mic. Um, just so you know, it doesn't look like it's near fatal or it won't be um, with an ambulance. So somebody did fall and there's some blood on the nose, but it looks like more superficial. Still important, serious, but if you want it to continue, it looks like yeah, it's let's, been... Is there any announcement you need to make? Um, there are a couple of announcements. So everybody knows that the mission auction... Um, is happening next Sunday. If you're planning on coming, please do purchase a ticket out there before you leave because they need a headcount. Mary Johnson does a fantastic job of catering, but she does need to know how much food to make. So if you're planning on coming, it's right after church, 1130 a.m. Uh, next Sunday. Please do purchase a ticket. And for those things that you see out there that are kind of getting your attention uh, and you want to buy one now, you could pay double immediately and get it. And for those of you who don't know, all of the money goes to just what Pastor Jim is saying, that we're not preaching the gospel only to Americans, right? Christ didn't come to save only us. We're preaching the gospel to people in Uganda, Africa, Oaxaca, Mexico, because we believe that Christ came to save every human being who would repent and believe in him. So that is what the, what the proceeds are raised for. Um, and then also to switch gears briefly, there's a women's event this Friday at 7 p.m., and you can talk to Sharon in the Narthex, uh, just a devotion. And with that, uh, Pastor Jim already prayed, so we'll say God bless. Oh.
Oh, okay. The offering is going to be, if the ushers could come forward with the offering, because we're just kind of pivoting from that, um, we're going to stay for the offering. And then, um, because it's not an emergent situation, so we can stay for a couple minutes. Um, I'll just pray for that now. Father, we just come before you in Jesus' name. And again, to echo Pastor Jim's prayer, we thank you that the woman is not seriously injured. We thank you for the people caring for her and pray you give them uh, just wisdom on how to attend to her. Pray she makes a full recovery. 